right, this is part two uh, of a study we began last week on the danger of becoming a cultural Christian. Uh, and we understand that, uh, what does that mean? A cultural Christian is someone who ostensibly knows about Jesus, knows who Jesus is, may even say that they're a Christian, may go to church, may even have positions in church of some authority. Um, and yet, even though they have all that intellectual head knowledge about Jesus, they have never truly had heart confirmation. They have not given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happens when you are a cultural Christian. Um, and so it, it sounds like you're a Christian. It looks like you're a Christian, but we don't see the fruit of the Spirit. We don't see it uh, in your life. And that's what God is warning us about uh, and becomes a very significant part of our life. This is what God wants us to focus on and what God really put on my heart for you this year. And so we have to remember that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one event that turned the disciples from being really lost and unbelievers to be willing to give their lives for Jesus Christ. Eleven of them, eleven of them gave their lives to Christ uh, and martyred their lives uh, for Christ because they understood he was the son of God. Uh, and, you know, uh, someone asked me last week after we, we adjourned, uh, to give them some insights as to how to speak to the lost uh, about Christ. And you know, in our Sunday service uh, at Naples Gathering, I'm doing a three-part series on this very uh, issue, uh, how to become a contagious Christian. Uh, and so the question becomes, how do I speak to somebody that's lost? What if somebody says to me, well, you know, you Christians, you know, really, you, you're, you, all you people do is think you have the only way and you don't respect other people's religions. You don't respect other people's philosophies. And so how do I respond to that? Well, you have to learn to respond in sound bites. Uh, because if you don't respond in a sound bite, it's as if your head is filled with the entire Bible and you can't articulate a simple response. And so you need to think ahead to be able to think, give a simple response. And my answer to that is if somebody asked me that question, I would say the following. Well, uh, all I know is that Jesus Christ is the only man in the history of the world who defeated death. After being crucified publicly in front of thousands of people, he was buried in a tomb for three days, and after three days, he walked out of the tomb alive and defeated death, and over 500 eyewitnesses saw it. And he walked around for 40 days until he was ascended into the skies. Well, if that man tells me he is the son of God and there is only one way to God through him, you know what? I'll believe him. Can that be any simpler? That's it. And so you have effectively synthesized uh, um, much of the New Testament in that one phrase. And so I want you to think about that even as we go forward, understanding the, the nature of, of Jesus and his death on the cross. That's why we're not cultural Christians. We're not cultural Christians because we're like the 11 disciples. We understand what he is and what he did. We know that we're saved by his blood, by his grace, that without him intervening in our lives, we would have no place to go. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing to remember. God demands perfection. Okay? 
Not 90% or 95% or 99%. He demands perfection. And the only way you get perfection is when you have the blood of Christ on you. Other than the the, uh, washing of the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ attaching you to the body of Christ, God sees you now through the filtering lens of Jesus. And as he sees you through the filtering lens of Jesus, he, he recognizes perfection. Not that you're perfect, but that you accepting Jesus Christ in your heart, that you have become perfect as a result of that sacrifice. That's the plan of God for your life. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and this is Paul now, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There you go. There's the perfect example of what it means to be sold out for Jesus Christ. That's the opposite of being a cultural Christian. That's Christianity in action, in power. I am crucified through Christ, uh, and I no longer live. Meaning what? The life that I lived before no longer lives. Here's the question for you. Is there a transformative aspect of your life? Are you now living a different life than you lived before? Or are you living the same old life? The only difference is you're going to church. Okay? Well, here's the thing. Going to church doesn't get you to God. Religiosity is not what God wants. All right? Denominationalism is not going to get you to God. What's going to get you to God is the sold-out commitment uh, to Jesus Christ, accepting him in your heart and seeing the transformative aspect of your life. Because here's the fact, guys. Here's the fact that when you become sold out to Christ, your life changes. Your life changes. Oh, I'm not saying you immediately become perfect. That's the walk of the rest of your life. But now suddenly the Holy Spirit is in your heart. And the things that you used to do that you thought weren't a problem, that now the Holy Spirit is convicting you about, makes your life different. You don't speak the same way. You don't do the same things that you did because now God is inspiring your walk. And if that's not the case for you, then come and see me and we'll pray and we'll ask God to address that because it should be addressed. Because otherwise what's happening is you're leading the life of a cultural Christian. And so this becomes an important thing for you to understand. This is why good people who have not accepted Christ, good people as the world defines good, don't go to heaven. It's not me that says this. Don't argue with John Garippa. It's not me. It's the Bible. Okay? It's the Bible. So you could go and sell all your worldly goods. Get on a plane, fly to India, decide to move into a leper colony, spend the rest of your life in a leper colony, giving everything away to those poor unfortunates. And yet, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, according to the Bible and according to Jesus, you will not see the Father. Because God has given you the one way to get in. 
That's why the Bible says it's a narrow path. You ever wonder about that? The narrow path. Why? Because we'd like to have our own path. You know what our own path would be. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. This is good. That's good. You know, I'm, I love everybody. I love everything. And yet you don't understand it, that God has made a prescription for you one way and one way only through Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that if God bankrupted heaven and sent us Jesus Christ as the one way, and you've rejected that, that you have the temerity to say to God, well, I just I didn't like that way. You didn't like that way. You liked your own way, and your own way leads to death and destruction. And so you see it. This becomes the understanding of what is a cultural Christian, all right? And I'm begging you to come to terms with this issue and to be the opposite of that, to be a committed Christian. Look also, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. Let's understand what that means. It means this, that God could count men's sins against them. He does count men's sin against them, unless you have taken Christ in and have been transformed in your life through Christ. And so when you become transformed by Christ, what happens there, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. And therefore, you are reconciled. What does that mean? It means that God now sees you as a child, as a brother of Jesus Christ. That's the power of reconciliation. Can you imagine? The God of the universe would do that for you. He would do that for you. All you had to do was accept Christ, not just on your lips, but in your heart. Put him into your heart and make him the centerpiece of your life. And that's, that's the point of this. All of that gives you full reconciliation with God, that suddenly you're reconciled with God. You're no longer an enemy of God. He doesn't see your sins. All he does is see Jesus Christ. And, and so we have to understand this. It means that Christ lives in me, and I live in him. Uh, and this only happens when you get saved, period. End of, of point. Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. You understand that? Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. So this is the message that you need to give to your family and friends, to people that, that don't know Christ. This is an important message that this that you need to do this. And so here's, here's the point. If you're touched by this lesson uh, last week and today, you need to have the practical application of it. You need to study that. Uh, and it means that a genuine Christian sees his own personal sin, and he recognizes that his own personal sin needs to be washed away by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? It, it means that even though we are in Christ, even though we walk with Christ, even though we're fully, fully committed to Christ, we still carry around this flesh. And so I want to tell you something. As you carry around this flesh, you will be subject to sin. Every day of your life, 
you will still sin. You will still sin. You will sin until the day they put dirt on you, okay? But you will continue to sin. But here's the difference. You didn't even recognize you were sinning before. But now, through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you know that you're sinning. You know that it's wrong. And so you bow and ask God, forgive me, Lord. Wash me. You know, I, I could see it myself. You know, something will happen in my life, and I still have my temperament. You understand, I was a type A plus guy, all right, in every possible way. If somebody did something wrong to me, I'd make sure that I straightened it out, all right? I wouldn't let a day go by. I would respond immediately. There's people here in this room who know me for 40 years, and they know that's a fact. But here's the thing. God still keeps your personality. He doesn't change it, but he surrounds you with the blood of Christ. All right. He uses you. He uses what, what he's given you in terms of your gifts and talent, even your personality. But he causes you now that if you launch out and you say a word, all of a sudden you go, oh, God, I didn't mean to say that, Father. I shouldn't have said that. I need to apologize. And that's why I can say honestly today that despite all of the things that I have been through, especially so in the last year, and you all know what I'm talking about when I talk about the last year. I want to tell you before the throne of God, I don't harbor one bit of ill will towards the people that did that to me. Not one bit of ill will. Now, is that John Garippa saying that? It's not John Garippa saying that. The old John would get in his car, drive over there, and run over people. That's the natural tendency of the man. But through the Holy Spirit, God has said to me, look at what I've given you. Look at where you are. Look at what I've done. Look at how you've grown. Look at the blessings of your life. And remember what Joseph said, what Joseph said to his brother 17 years after they sold him into slavery. He said, looking out at them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen? You understand? And I mean that for all of you. You are all children of God. God loves you. And so, yes, you've had evil committed against you. Yes, there have been bad things that you've had to experience. But God uses those things for his children to elevate them and to make us better, conforming us to the body of Christ in every possible way. And so that's what it's about. So as we become fully invested in Christ, fully invested uh, in the body of Christ. Now we experience, we show what it means to be a Christian. And one of those things that first comes up are good works, are good works. Now we do the good works, not to elevate ourselves, not to have our names on a building, not to have our names paraded around so that people elevate us. Instead, now we do it for Jesus. That's why we do the good works, for Jesus. Let the glory of God be elevated, not the glory of man. That's what it's about. And you see that in the life of people who are truly committed Christians. You see this. And so we, we obviously recognize that it's our responsibility to, to do the will of God. That's how you know that you're not a cultural Christian. You are walking in God. You are doing the good works that God has ordained. You are elevating God's will, and you are submitting to the throne of God and putting your face in the dust. There's not a single example I can find in the Bible where God used an arrogant man, a prideful man. I can't find a single example. But I see when men are humble and submit to God, 
and allow God to work with them. Oh, God elevates them so much so that that's, it's amazing. And that's what God will do for, do for you as you recognize this. Turn to Philippians chapter, chapter 2, if you would. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Who does that if you're not sold out to Jesus? Looking out for the interests of others. You understand the nature of, of most of us is constantly to look for, out for number one. But here, when you are a Christian, you don't do that. Uh, and you said your nature here, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I love these verses. I'm going to read them. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and the congregation said, Amen is right. That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's your role model. The ultimate humble servant who would wash the feet of the disciples, who would care nothing about himself, but care about the lost, who would die on the cross in order to save us, who had your name written in his palm. Uh, and never forget it. That is why we could never be cultural Christians. We could never be cultural Christians, but instead we are sold out always for God in such a powerful way, in such a powerful way. And so that's why when we do that, we develop the fruit of the Spirit. Our lives change. We are transformed. We can't be the same guy. I can't be the same guy I was about that was self-centered and cared about myself. Now I care about Jesus. I want to be his hands and feet. I want to do his will. I want to go where he wants me to go. I want to speak to people that he wants me to speak to. That's the essence of your life, and it becomes a transformative life. Now, one of the things that you can use and recall and, and reconcile is that when you are truly, when you are truly saved, one of the things that you recognize is the fact that we need to confess and repent, even on a daily basis, that truly convicted Christians recognize their shortcomings uh, and constantly look to God to uh, uh, convict them of what they do. And one of the best things, the best examples I can give you of a transformative life that shows you what happens even when you do some terrible things and how God deals with you in that is Psalm 51. I want to spend the rest of today on Psalm 51. Uh, and this is an amazing psalm. This is a psalm that was written by David about one year after he was involved effectively in the murder of Uriah the Hittite. You know the story. Uriah was Bathsheba's uh, husband, and David began an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, she became pregnant, and so in order to cover himself up, uh, David had Uriah, her husband, sent into the hottest part of a battle against the enemies of God and told the generals when the battle was at its highest, pull back, leave Uriah there alone so he can die. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And that's what he did. 
That's what he did. And so he's responsible for the murder of an innocent man. Uh, and yet this song, this psalm speaks to his heart, shows the brokenness that we need for God and in order for God to re really speak to our hearts. This psalm was so powerful that it was uh, quoted, it was recited in full on the scaffold when Sir Thomas More uh, was about to be executed. He did that. And so you recognized how powerful this psalm is. So we're going to go through it uh, verse by verse because I think it's, it's important. So if you have your Bibles there, look at Psalm 51, beginning with verses 1 and 2. Uh, and here we have uh, the fact that his sin is confessed, uh, and he's asking God to forgive him. Uh, asking God to forgive him. Now, let's understand something. This is something we do on an ongoing basis. Even though we're saved, we still recognize that we ask God to wash us, wash us daily. Uh, and this was a big sin. I mean, it's pretty hard to get a bigger sin than murder uh, and adultery. Uh, and so you see the heart of this man. And so beginning with verse 1, 1 and 2, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What do you notice here? You notice that here's a man who takes personal responsibility. It's not, God, I'm a weak man. I have weak character. I was with people that forced me to do bad things, God. It wasn't really my fault. Lord, it wasn't my fault. You know me. You know how weak I am, God. No, I reject that. I reject it. Instead, it's God blot out my sin. I'm fully responsible. Wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And so it's, you understand here that this came about because the prophet Nathan came to him uh, and gave him a story about uh, a, a, a man who had a ton of sheep, a wealthy man, and somebody needed a, they were going to have a feast celebrating somebody. And instead of taking one of the thousands of sheep that he had, he looked at his neighbor who had one sheep who was his pet. It was his pet sheep. And he took that sheep and killed that sheep. All right. So that he, would, he wouldn't have to touch his own. And David is outraged. He's outraged. And he said, that man should die. And Nathan put his bony finger into his chest and said, you are that man. You see, that's how God is with us. When you really respond to God and ask God to reveal our hearts, he will say, you are that man. And so here it was. He understood it. In great honesty uh, and humility, David comes before God. He comes before God, broken before God. That's what God wants to see. He wants to see a truly broken nature. He wants to see that. And that's what we are when we're truly Christians. And then he asks for mercy. God, have mercy upon me. And he's a, he's a man who knows he has sinned. He knows he deserves the, the justice of God. And frankly, during that period of time for those kind of sins, he would be executed. He would be executed. Uh, but we understand from this psalm, it made it very clear that God forgave him. Not only did God forgive him, and this is a big deal, God would allow him to be effectively in the direct lineal line of Jesus Christ. Oh, what kind of God is this? 
that you could be a murderer and an adulterer, and yet God would allow you to be in the direct linear line of Jesus Christ. That's how great your God is. When you wonder about your own sins and your own transgressions, I want you to understand something. God has forgiven them. And many of you need to forgive yourself now. Somebody said to me before we started, you know, I really want to speak to to people about God, but every time I go to do it, he said, all of a sudden I see a mirror and I look at myself and I'm not worthy. How can I speak to people when I know what I've done in my life? I said, that's Satan. You understand? That's what Satan does to take you out of your game. Do you think I could come up here and preach to you if all I've reflected upon is the things I've done in my life? Are you kidding me? That's why I didn't get started till I was 50. You understand? Till I was 50, until suddenly I realized that no one was holy. No one. I looked up to my father my whole life because he was such a holy man. I could never be my father. I could never be my father, but God called me to be me. And I had to recognize that when I was 50 years old, that if God had truly called me to do what I was, then that meant that God had forgiven the past. And so get up, John, and speak, and forget about where you were. Look at where you're going. All right? And that's what I have to say to you guys. I want to say that to you. Look, all of us have things in our past that we're ashamed of, but God has forgiven you if you are a Christian. If you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, it's over. It's done. Move forward. Now go and speak to people about Christ because now you have a story to tell. Now you can tell about what God did to you and what he did for you. And so here you see it, this, this man begging for mercy uh, in such a way. And, and so here he is, and, and here's the thing. He's asking for a multitude of tender mercies. And the thing is, is that God has a multitude of mercies for us. Not just once, but ongoing, forever. Uh, and and uh, Spurgeon said that God's mercies are like the stars in heaven. I love the, I love the way that's phrased. God's mercies are like the stars on he- in heaven. And so he, David then goes on to say, blot out my transgressions. Blot them out, O God. Blot them out. And I love that prayer because David felt that there was a register of his sins. He's right. There is. God keeps track. He knows when you sin. But you see, if you're a Christian, God rips up the register. There is no fact of God keeping track as far as the east is from the west if you're sold out to Jesus Christ. That's what we have to tell the world. You understand? This is why we can't be cultural Christians. This is why we have to be sold out. This is what it means to be reconciled, that God is no longer keeping an accounting of our sins because he sees Jesus when he looks at you. And it becomes so so important uh, as we understand this uh, and, and really uh, in such an important way, uh, this becomes important for us. Uh, look, at, look at Exodus chapter 32, if you would. Verse 31 there. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The book you have written. 
There is a book. There's a book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And your names are in it if you've accepted Christ. But you don't get to write your own name in that book. Only God writes that name through Jesus Christ. And so that becomes important for you to recognize this. And you see it even then as David was begging for, to be forgiven. And he says there also, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He recognized his sin, all right? And it was as if God put a mirror up to his face. And when he saw in the mirror, he saw himself full of sin. And he was convicted. And how now the sense of the stain drove him to beg to be cleansed. That's how God wants you to be. All right. Don't ignore the, the mistakes you make in your life. Don't ignore the iniquity. Don't ignore the fact that you need to have confession and repentance. God expects you to recognize it. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, as I believe you are, then you are convicted. You are convicted uh, about that action. He goes on to say, wash me thoroughly. And this, this becomes an understanding of it's not just an outward wash. It's not a shower. But it's a kind of wash that washes not just the outside, but the inside as well. It purges all of us, inside and out, uh, and it becomes important. And then he, got, then he talks about the open confession of sin in verses 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Oh, what a heart this man has. Against you only have I seen. Well, really, he didn't just sin against God, but primarily he first sinned against God. Yes, he sinned against Uriah. Yes, he sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he did that. But the primary sin is God. And here's what I had to learn in my own life. That even when I, when I crossed the line and did things that were wrong, I had to recognize and take the excuses out of my life and instead recognize that what I was doing was sinning against God. Sinning against God. That God had blessed me. That God had called me. And yet I still sinned against God. And you see this here in this great uh, understanding uh, of that. And, and he says here, uh, my sin is always before me. You understand that? You guys understand what that means. My sin is always before me. It means you have a guilty conscience, right? You have a guilty conscience. You know when you've done something wrong. You know when you should have stepped up and done something and instead you didn't do it. And we have the, com the sins of commission and the sins of omission, both ways. And so God convicts you. And David is convicted. He didn't write this psalm for about a year after these events took place. And remember, the baby that was born of that union was, was taken by God. That baby didn't survive. And so you come back and say, well, I don't understand God. I don't understand it all either. But God is just and he's merciful. And so even, even as we walk in God, even as we walk through Christ, uh, we recognize that there's a sense of justice that God has, even as he deals with us. There are repercussions. And so you see this here, this fact that I have sinned and it's always before me. That's the nature of sin, all right? He did his best to ignore it for a while, but he couldn't ignore it. He couldn't deny it. It came up constantly in his life. Uh, and so unconfessed 
Sin allows you to live a miserable life. You got that? Unconfessed sin allows you to live a miserable life. It doesn't go away. You go to sleep at night and it's there. You get up in the morning and it's there. All right? And it's there. And it percolates and it permeates every aspect of your life until you say, Father, forgive me. Wash me. God, I can't live this way. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not that you don't sin. David was a holy man before this took place. David loved God. David was being used in a mighty way with, from God. All right. David was the anointed king of Israel, yet he sinned. So I don't care how high you are or how special you are or even God is using you. Don't you recognize that I feel this way about myself? I'm so concerned about myself that if God has used me to preach to hundreds of men and women that I call myself responsible to God. Because if I fall now, I just don't drag myself down. I drag hundreds of other people down. You understand the judgment that that is? And you all are in the same situation. You're heads of families. You're heads of communities. People respect you. And so when you fall, it's not just you falling yourself, but you dragging down other people. You need to have a mindset of what God, is ha God has for you in his life and what the idea of sin is. Uh, and, and it becomes so important to understand this. And, and look at verse 5 and 6. You begin to get an idea biblically of the concept of original sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward part, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Now, David wasn't born out of a sinful relationship, but David recognized that the very DNA that he was born with was sinful. And that is the nature of understanding original sin. That the sin factor of humanity is traced back to its original polluting force in nature, which was Adam and Eve. That's how our sin nature got started. Uh, and so we understand what original sin is, that we're born with that factor. We have a sin nature. And so even as we give ourselves over to God, even as we repent, even as we accept Jesus Christ, we still have the original flesh that we're walking with. Okay? We still have that. So even as God transforms our life, we're still uh, able to fall unless we recognize and continue to repent every day of your life. You need to have this attitude every day of your life. This is why I say to you that you need to pray 100 times a day. All right? And, and that's a figure I use metaphorically. It's probably 1,000 times a day. But here's the thing. You don't need to put a prayer shawl on. Okay? You don't need to dim the lights of your house. Okay, you don't need to go out in your garage, be by yourself. All right, put on a prayer mat. All right, look towards Jerusalem uh, and pray. You don't need any of that. What you need to have is an ongoing dialogue with God a hundred times a day. When you get up in the morning, when you whatever you are, when you're reading a book, when you're going to church, when you're driving your car, you need to be speaking to God. Lord, help me. Lord, lead me. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, forgive me my sins. Lord, show me my shortcomings. That's the nature of who we are to be. That's what he wants from us. And that's what I do for myself. 
All right, I do that constantly. My wife will say to me, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? I'm afraid I'm losing my mind, and I probably am losing my mind in some ways. But, but who am I? I'm talking to him. I'm talking to him. All right? I'm talking to him. I'm sharing my heart, my problems, my issues, asking him to, to lift me up, to affirm me, to make me better, uh, and to co- help me to be what he wants me to be. There's only one way you're going to do that, and that is through a constant prayer life. And I know that there are people here in this room who are suffering serious illness issues. I know you are. And I'm praying for you. But I want you to understand something. That even as you go through this, you need to ask God for wisdom. Lord, what do you want me to achieve as I go through this? How am I to be your man, Lord? Who do you want me to testify to? What is this illness about, Lord, to advance the kingdom of God? Because all things... Work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things, not just the good things, but all things. And so even in these sicknesses that we don't understand, all right? Even in these sicknesses that we don't understand, we have to recognize that the hand of God is there and and coaching us and lifting us and affirming us in so many ways. Uh, And so we need to understand that. Then he says, Uh, David says, you desire truth in the inward parts. I love that phrase. You desire truth. You desire perfection in the inward parts of his body. And so God wanted to work deeply in David. He knew what he was. He knew that he had a weakness for women. He knew that he would go up on the roof of the palace and look for women who were taking showers. He knew that. Even as this great king had this great legacy, God knew that he was a weak man. But David didn't know it. Sound like you? Sound like me? It's only when God reveals the extent of the sin that you see the nature of this overwhelming sin that that we are put our faces in the dust and we ask God to wash us. That's what this is about. And David becomes this great, great prophet for God and allows God allows him to be uh, in the line of Jesus Christ and, and to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. And so you see this here. The sin nature was deep in David. It was deep in David, and God wanted to expose it. God wanted him to recognize, you need me. You need repentance. You need to have me in the deepest part of your life. Don't delude yourself. Don't think just because God has used you or called you that you're not uh, not a sinner. You are a sinner. And so then he prays for restoration. He prays for restoration in verses 7 to 9. Restoration. It says there, purge me, purge me, Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. What does he mean by purge me with hyssop? Hyssop was used by the priests during that period of time uh, in in the uh, cleansing uh, so that when they went in to do the ceremonies, they would be clean. Uh, And so what he's saying there is, God, do a spiritual work of cleansing. It's not just the external part of my body that needs to be washed. It's the internal, Lord. My spirit needs to be washed. 
And that was hyssop was used at the celebration of the Passover lamb. That's when we see it talked about. It was used to sprinkle the priest's purifying water during that period of time. That was the nature of hyssop. And so that was the Levitical code and, and what it was all about. And so David didn't think for a moment that he could cleanse himself. He needed God to cleanse him and to do it through the blood of the perfect sacrifice. That's the point. You can't, you can't save yourself. And if you're a cultural Christian, that's one thing that they think they can do. They invent their own gods. They invent their own philosophy. And yet you see here in this psalm of this great prophet, this great king, how much he understood that only God himself could wash him. Only God could forgive him. Only God could expose what he, what he was. He says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David knew that God's effective cleaning, uh, his cleaning of the sin would be, would be effective. That when God washed him, that sin would be removed forever as far as the east is from the west. And that's the nature of what you need to be able to uh, understand about yourself and about other people when you speak about God and about Jesus. Here's the thing. God has forgiven your sins, all of them. If you have walked with God, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have put him in the centerpiece of your life. You have him lead you every single day. When you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, who should I speak to? What should I say? Where should I go? I live my life for you. When you do that, he is with you and he washes you completely from all your sins. And he will elevate you and lift you up and use you in a powerful way. Uh, as if you never stay, sinned at all. Uh, and, and it's an amazing statement. Uh, and, and, it's, and Spurgeon said the following about this. God could make him as if he had never sinned at all. Such is the power of the cleansing work of God upon the heart that he can restore innocence to us and make us as if we had never been stained with transgression at all. How many of you would like that? I want to be innocent before God. I want to be the way God wants me to be. I want to be as if I never committed a sin. I don't want to wake up and have this stay on my conscience. I want to be able to walk with God and to know that God has washed me and forgiven me. That is what God will do. He will do that for you when you are sold out to him, when you become committed in him. Uh, and so it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to be confronted with the very blackness of our sin, to see, have an, to have an introspective view of what we look like. And when we understand that God has washed us and, and taken away that sin from us, we are filled with unspeakable joy. This is why you can go to the outside world and speak about Jesus. Because you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. And until you understand that, you aren't fully walking where God wants you to walk. You have been forgiven. This is what he's done. This is what he does on an ongoing basis. And every day of your life, as you walk with him and you speak with him, a hundred times a day, you confess your sins, you confess your shortcomings, and he lifts you up, and he restores you, and he gives you the power and the authority to speak as the agent of God himself, as the agent of God himself, as the hands and feet of Jesus. 
not because of who you are, not because of your personality or your talent or your intellect, but because in his perfect will, he knew you before you were created. And he has destined you for these great acts. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your words, Father. I thank you for this great Psalm of David who shows us, Father, what it means to be a man of God, the convicting nature, Father, of, of what you do for us, how we understand our sins and how we bow before your throne and ask you to wash us, Lord. This is what it means to be transformed by Jesus Christ, not as a cultural Christian, not as an intellectual philosopher Christian, but instead to be heart deep in Jesus. I ask you, Father, to bless our men, protect them this week. Let this lesson resonate in their hearts and give it practical application and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word next week. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.